sell your information or anything like that, but we would love to have your information um, so that we can follow up with you and also get your feedback. We'd really value that. Um, We'll also add you, we'll, we will use that to add you to our email list where we actually share all of the exciting things coming up that you might want to join us for as well. Um, with that said, if there's anyone in the room that wants to update their information with us, you can do, there's two ways that you can do that. Um, so first, there's an info card at the Welcome Center that uh, is next to the cafe as you came in. Um, or you can update or share your information electronically on the YouVersion app, which is just uh, going to be posted behind me on this screen. Thanks, Joe. <laughs> and um, that app is also useful um, during our gatherings if you want to use it to take notes or even give online. Um, speaking of giving, there's other ways that you can do that. You can uh, give through our website but also uh, there's an offering box in the back of the room if you prefer to give that way. We have other ways to stay connected and engaged throughout the week too. Um, we have wallpapers available for you. Um, you can also find us on our social media sites. Um, you can access our Spotify playlist with all the songs that we sing throughout the series. I especially like that. Um, we also have Monday, Wednesday, Friday devotionals available for you, which you can subscribe to, uh, have delivered to your inbox. Um, you can do all of those things on the messages and resources page of our website. But if you have any questions, uh, if you have any feedback, or if you have any ideas for us, or just need prayer, you can email connect at centerwaychurch.com. Also on our website, you'll find a link for next steps. Um, at the end of the message, actually, Claude will talk through some specific next steps related to our message today, but you can always keep moving forward with your own spiritual journey, and um, if one of these is right for you, you can find information on how to be spiritually coached, um, how to serve here at Centerway, um, how to get water baptized, um, or become a Centerway steward. And if you are interested in becoming a Centerway steward, um, the next Clarity Workshop for that is coming up on Sunday, October 17th. And uh, you can sign up for that on the calendar page of the website. Um, also on Next Steps, uh, lots of info there. You can actually sign up for circles. They did start last week, but it's not too late to join. Um, there's an online circle available. Also um, uh, an in-person circle for kids and adults. And a student circle. And the student circle actually meets right after our gathering. Um, we just want to remind you, speaking of students, uh, that the, there's a student retreat available for them coming up next weekend. Um, I think we just need to know if you're uh, interested in going to that. Hopefully today you could let uh, someone know. You can actually uh, look for Tara uh, to let her know or, um, or at the info center. Um, and details about that can be found on the web page as well on the, uh, on the calendar page. Uh, you'll hear a lot of us around here say that we can't believe we get to do this. Uh, and it's true. That's something that we just said today, just before you before you uh, all came in. You know, we love that we get to do this with you. Uh, so thanks for being here. Here's what to expect for the rest of the gathering today. Uh, Eric will come up and read scripture. Uh, Claude will be communicating from the Bible. And then we'll get to respond in, uh, in song uh, to the word that we'll hear. Can we just bow our heads in and pray for the message today? God, we thank you. Thank you, thank you for bringing us all together today. 
Thank you for this space that we get to gather in. And thank you for building this church to, for us to do life with. Would you prepare our hearts for the message that we're about to hear, for what you want us to hear, and for what you want us to see today? Have your way in this room, in and through us, and do what only you can do. In Jesus' name, amen. morning. Scripture today is Mark chapter 14. Well, I guess it's good afternoon. I'm so sorry. <laughs> Mark chapter 14, uh, verses 43 through 72. You can follow along uh, on the YouVersion app or up on the screen as well or in your Bible. And immediately while he was still speaking, Judas came, one of the 12, and with him a crowd with swords and clubs from the chief priests and the scribes and the elders. Now the betrayer had given them a sign saying, the one I will kiss is the man. Seize him and lead him away under guard. And when he came, he went up to him at once and said, Rabbi, and he kissed him. And they laid hands on him and seized him. But one of those who stood by drew his sword and struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his ear. And Jesus said to him, have you come out as against a robber with swords and clubs to capture me? Day after day, I was with you in the temple teaching and you did not seize me, but let the scriptures be fulfilled. And they all left him and fled. And a young man followed him with nothing but a linen cloth about his body and they seized him, but he left the linen cloth and ran away naked. And they led Jesus to the high priest and all the chief priests and the elders and the scribes came together. And Peter had followed him at a distance right into the courtyard of the high priest. And he was sitting with the guards and warming himself at the fire. Now the chief priests and the whole council were seeking testimony against Jesus to put him to death, but they found none. For many bore false witness against him, but their testimony did not agree. And some stood up and bore false witness against him, saying, We heard him say, I will destroy this temple that is made with hands, and in three days I will build another, not made with hands. Yet even about this, their testimony did not agree. And the high priest stood up in the midst and asked Jesus, Have you no answer to make? What is it that these men testify against you? But he remained silent and made no answer. Again, the high priest asked him, Are you the Christ, the Son of the Blessed? And Jesus said, I am. And you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming with the clouds of heaven. And the high priest tore his garments and said, what further witnesses do we need? You have heard his blasphemy. What is your decision? And they all condemned him as deserving death. And some began to spit on him and to cover his face and strike him saying, prophesy. And the guards received him with blows. And as Peter was below in the courtyard, one of the servant girls of the high priest came and seeing Peter warming himself, she looked at him and said, you also were with the Nazarene Jesus. But he denied it saying, I neither know nor understand what you mean. And he went out into the gateway and the rooster crowed. And the servant girl saw him and began again to say to the bystanders, this man is one of them. But again, he denied it. And after a little while, when the bystanders again said to Peter, certainly you are one of them, for you are a Galilean. But he began to invoke a curse on himself and to swear, I do not know this man of whom you speak. And immediately the rooster crowed a second time. And Peter remembered how Jesus had said to him, before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. And he broke down and wept.
Thanks so much. That was a serious passage to be reading. <laughs> like, there's still more? Yes, Eric's still reading. It's so great to be with you today as we continue in our series within walking distance. And today's uh, talk is entitled Protection. Protection is within walking distance. Um, there's a, a lot of stories that I could share in regard to um, things like uh, protection, for example. Uh, but the one that really kind of came to mind because of sort of the uniqueness and craziness of it all is actually back to um, my my teenage years. I think I was maybe 17 or something like that. I think I was a college student, um, freshman in college, something like that. Might have been a little bit older. And uh, our, the church that I uh, grew up in had probably the best way to explain it is like a hell house, if you've ever heard of that or something like that. It's not just like a haunted house, but the concept is um, that you basically you're getting this experience of what it would be like uh, if you were to be sent to hell. And so the idea is like to really terrify people and sort of, I don't know, it's just kind of creepy, I guess, now that I'm talking about it, <laughs> because it does sound like somewhat manipulative and be like, aren't you so scared now? Are you ready to avoid hell? Come and know Jesus based on emotional manipulation. But that was never our goal, but it definitely sounds like that's what happened. In either case, uh, I have to kind of explain what happened so you can kind of understand. I was in a, um, I played the role of Satan, and why is that funny? <laughs> yeah, and, and they distorted my voice. They did all these effects to my voice and stuff, and I had a headset, so when I would talk, it was like this booming thing. You couldn't see the speakers, and it would sound almost like, uh, I think it's the ghost of Christmas past or future or whatever one has a scary voice. Um, so in either case, it would be like, woo, type. <laughs> that was really bad. Dan could probably do it to my voice, but let's not waste the time. Um, in either case, I would scare people really bad. I'd really scare them bad. And the back room that we would that we would kind of bring them to, this was kind of like the climax of the entire event. Um, they would go through all these different rooms and then they would come through a large gymnasium and then be sent into this room and they had to pass by me. And there was a manhole that was not functional in that room. And so just when they thought like it was scary enough, like someone would come up out of the manhole and scream for help. And there was a blue light in there and uh, there were like luminescent things. And so it was just super scary. And, uh, and so what we found and why I'm sharing this story, uh, which I guess I didn't really think through entirely based on the way that I introed it, <laughs> trying to explain a hell house if you've never had it, it's kind of like, what in the world? Um, in either case, there were, there were two, there were three different types of people. There were the people that we would call the no's. Like, they would walk through the door, and all of a sudden, like, the room would start, and I'd be like, welcome to hell, <laughs> you know, type thing. And I'd be like, no, 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 and they'd just turn around, and they're like, and so for those people that were, like, no's, we had a separate exit for them to, like, basically bail out of this thing, and they could go back to the end of the thing, and there were a lot of people that were like, uh, 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 uh. There were also uh, what I like to call the run-throughs, where they would come and they'd be like, they'd want to be cooler than the nose, so they would walk in and be like, oh, yeah, this is so vague, this is ridiculous, and they just run through to where they know the, the exit is, and they just stand by that door like, <laughs> like climbing out until someone could like open it, and they're like, I don't care, you're a real person. And I'm like, or am I? Like, we know you're not Satan. I'm like, you'll see him soon enough. Like, <laughs> anyway, but enough about what I'd say to the little kids. I'm joking. In either case, um, then on occasion, we would have um, a unique 
type of person, a unique type of person that could not process what is taking place to the point where they just go into what I think we could refer to as protection mode. This type of person would do everything within their power to protect themselves. They would often grab their girlfriend and throw them at me. You know, like push them in front of me. Uh, we had people that would push little old ladies towards Satan, like grab the, she's lived enough life anyway. You know, like, oh my gosh, she's like on a walker, like I don't care. Um, so there were a lot of weird moments, weird things happen when you really, really scare people and especially when they really, really go into protection mode. Um, there was one um, guy in particular, and that's why I said girlfriend is because of the, this story where um, he was there with, uh, with a girl and I scared him and I scared him so much that he said, no, 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 and he grabbed her and pulled her between me and him and she's screaming and she's looking at me and I'm like, are you kidding, man? So I just continued. And as I continued, he literally just with all of his strength shoved her at me. And there's, again, a manhole there. And so she's stumbling towards me. And so I kind of like catch her and I look at him. I'm like, are you serious, man? But of course my voice is all like distorted. I'm like, are you serious, man? And, uh, and he's like looking at me. And uh, so it was one of those moments where everybody didn't know what to do. I had broken character and everything. And so I just looked at her and said, you should probably leave this guy. I don't know if their relationship made it or not. I'm just kidding. Joe then married Priscilla. So I'm saying all of that and sharing all of that because I want to ask you, <laughs> I want to ask you this question. The question is this, in what ways do we protect ourselves? In what way do we protect ourselves? Because it's funny to hear stories about how people will do anything to protect themselves and, and, you know, throw harmless people at who they believe to be an actor portraying Satan. But the reality is we also will do a lot of things to protect ourselves. There are, of course, many of ways that I mentioned already as humans kind of protect themselves, but for the most part, by default, we protect ourselves physically. We physically protect ourselves. As humans, again, for the most part, we kind of want to stay alive. And so because we want to stay alive when we're confronted with some type of physical harm, we'll do some pretty crazy things to protect ourselves, and in some cases, even at the expenses of others. And I could use a lot of different examples of how that's played out, but whether we realize it or not, what I want to submit to you today is that we actually need protection on more than just physical fronts. We can be injured or attacked, yes, physically, as I've already mentioned and focused on, but also mentally and even spiritually. Now, don't get me wrong, there are times that we kind of rise up and we protect our emotions or we protect our mind and we even consider our spiritual health, especially when we're confronted with the potential reality of hell. But by, um, by and large, we protect ourselves physically when the rubber kind of hits the road. It's the first default reaction. If we're in physical danger, we respond. What's interesting is that although we kind of separate things, most situations if not all, impact us on all fronts, physically, mentally, and spiritually, because they're all connected. They're all connected. We would love to pull them apart and to say, listen, this is physically dangerous, but it has no effect on, on my mind or my spirit. We can talk about something that's spiritual and, and act like it doesn't affect our physical being or the way that we function in our heart and mind, but the reality is they're all interconnected. 
We as humans are body, mind, and spirit. We see this in First Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 23. I want to read it to you. It says this. It says, Now may the God of peace, the God of peace himself, sanctify you completely. And may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, this is not necessarily a profound thought, but I, I don't think we think about it as often as we should. The decisions that we make, the decisions that we make with our bodies have, of course, physical implications, but it all, they also have spiritual implications into our life. The things that we dwell on with our minds impact us physically, right? There's this thing called stress that's a result of us dwelling on things, and it impacts us physically, and it also impacts us spiritually, what it is that we dwell on. You see what I mean? There's so many different ways that we can kind of connect the dots and realize that we're not just physical beings, but that we have this mind and spirit, and they're all interconnected, and they all impact and affect one another. It's why in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, we're told to hold every thought captive, We're told to hold every thought captive. And and Paul in Romans chapter 12 tells us to renew our minds by the reading of scripture to present our bodies as a living sacrifice. So there's all these connections all throughout scripture. I can go on with more and more examples, but I think you get my point. We are body, mind, and spirit, but our default, our default wiring is to protect primarily our body. We protect our body. In today's pericope or section of thought, we see very human reactions from Jesus' disciples. And before we kind of take a look, I want to give you a little bit of, um, of kind of background so we can all be on the same page as we jump into it. Judas has, um, has led Jesus' accusers to Jesus. And so he's kind of encroaching them in the garden. And he betrays Jesus with a kiss. Now, it was typical Jewish greeting of respect and friendship to kiss one another on the cheek. And so that's why you kind of get this saying, and maybe you never realized it was a biblical one, but um, you're betrayed with a kiss. This is what happens. He kisses Jesus on the cheek in order to signify he's the one to be taken away. And the disciples have an initial reaction to fight. They want to fight. They want to protect Jesus physically. They want to protect themselves. And so they rise up to fight. We see this in verses 46 through 47. It says this, and they laid hands on him and seized him, meaning Jesus. So the the people that have come, the guards and stuff, have laid hands on Jesus. They seize him. But one of those who stood by drew his sword and struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his ear. It's like go time. I know me like, if we're going to get into a fight, I'm going for the ear. <laughs> it just seems so bizarre to me. Like, was he a bad shot? Did he just swing his sword? What exactly happened there to be like, I got him, guys. He's not going to hear out of that ear for a while. I, I don't really understand. But the point is this. They rise up to fight. As humans, we have a fight or flight reaction. That's what happens. That's humanity. We want to protect our physical being. And so in that moment when we feel threatened, we either fight or we flee. But get this, Jesus does neither. Jesus does neither. There's something to learn there when when Jesus does something outside of humanity. And this is the reason why. Jesus was fully God, but he was fully human. So he's functioning within the realms of humanity and has no reaction. Why is that? Is he like, we got his ear, we're good. You know, no, of course not. 
In fact, uh, other versions of the gospels record how Jesus actually healed that servant of, the, of his ear issue. <laughs> but Jesus doesn't fight or flee. Why doesn't he protect himself? I want to submit to you that he didn't protect himself because he had spent time in prayer and was at peace with God's will. Think about that for a second. If you think about last week, the, the section of scripture that we talked about, we talked about Jesus coming to a place where he was laying his agenda down, saying, listen, Lord, your will, not mine. And so we're talking about the, the fact that Jesus himself had gotten to a place within prayer where he was literally at peace enough to not have a reaction as it begins to play out. Get this, Jesus prioritizes his spiritual health. I think in humanity, we, we prioritize our physical health, right? We protect our physical body and we also prioritize our physical body. Some of you are like, uh, I don't really prioritize it enough. Others of you are like, yes, I'm so excited that Claude said this. So next time my wife or parents or something tells me I shouldn't eat that, I'm like, listen, mom, dad, I'm really prioritizing my spiritual health right now. So I can go ahead and have seconds. It's just, it's what Jesus did. I'm just trying to be, you know, spiritual. That is not what I'm saying. I am not saying that at all. Because of course, if you are prioritizing the spiritual, then you realize that the body is what? The temple of the Lord. And you also realize the only way that you can function according to the mission and purpose of God is if you live long enough to do all that he's called you to do. And so there's this reality that we have the responsibility to take care of our physical body so that we can live on mission and do what God has called us to do. Again, prioritizing spiritual health. Jesus is not happy about being betrayed or his impending death. There's nowhere within scripture where Jesus expresses any type of, of excitement about going through what he goes through. But he was at a place of peace, a place of peace that passes all understanding because in prayer, he processed things with God and found contentment in God's will. I wanna say that one more time because that is not an easy task. He found contentment in God's will. Listen, that's available to us. That's available to us. And I've, I've heard the empty, mm, you should just pray about it. And I know what it's like to be in gut-wrenching, devastating moments and people just simply not knowing what else to say except to say, hey, you should, you should pray about that. I'm like, I did stink and pray about it. And it still rots. I'm still not okay with this. What are you talking about? None of this makes sense. Why in the world would God choose for me to walk through this? It doesn't make any earthly sense. But Jesus doesn't model a prayer of declaration or demand. I did not plan on them both being D's, but kind of cool, right? <laughs> he, did, he doesn't model a prayer of declaration or demand. And the reason why I say declaration or demand is because maybe I'm the only one guilty, but that's what my prayer life looks like sometimes, where I declare things like, obviously, God, you're going to do this. I mean, clearly, it makes sense to little old me and your God. And, you know, I mean, we're kind of both approaching this the same logical way. <laughs> or the idea that we demand something. We demand this. Both declaration and demand means I'm in control. 
It means I know better than God. It means I'm sitting on the throne room of my own life and I am ruling it. God, get in line with my will and my plan. Clearly, this makes sense. You see, if you're a person that prays in declaration and demand, your perception of God is actually rather small because you get to boss him around. But that's not what Jesus models. What does Jesus model in the Garden of Gethsemane? He processed the pain. He cried out. He cried out. He fell to the ground. He looked to his friends and said, hey, will you watch with me? And they let him down. Sound familiar? I've had some friends let me down. And so alone and isolated, he continues to cry out to the Lord until he came to a place of peace. And he said, your will not mine. He prayed until he came to a place of acknowledging the sovereignty of God. I want to submit to you that we need to get to a place where we don't demand and we don't declare, but instead we cry out to the Lord and we experience the pain and with tears running down our face, realize God is big and we are small and I'm not okay with this God, but you have a plan and you have a perspective that I simply don't have. You're bigger than me and so God, I'm going to find contentment in your will and your way. He focused not on his physical protection, but rather on his spiritual. And it led to peace. If you want peace in this world, it's not found in you controlling your own destiny. You've tried that, or maybe you haven't lived long enough to try it. (laughs) If you haven't lived long enough to try it, keep trying it if you have to learn the hard way. But the reality is you're not going to find peace apart from God. Coming to a place of just realizing Okay, your way is better than mine. Jesus is calm. He's calm. Like when I read the text, I'm like blown away by it. He's what we'd call in the sports world like a flatliner. You know what I'm talking about? Like a shot of a lifetime and he's just like, I'm good. Like, not nervous? No, I'm good. You see, there's a confidence that comes over athletes when they're content with what it is they've prepared for. And I want to tell you that's available to us in our one and only life to get to a place where we can say, all right, this is yours, God. I'm okay with it because you have a plan. Jesus is calm, but the disciples fight and then they flee. They run away. (laughs) So human, so incredibly human. So you can spend three years, day in and day out, with Jesus himself, the Messiah, and when it comes right down to it, you're going to fight or you're going to run. Verse 50, and they all left him and fled. One of the most disappointing verses in scripture. And the reason why it's disappointing is because I can't imagine how devastated they were. They had all just said that they would die for him. They didn't say like, we got your back. They said, we will not only not deny you, God, we will lay down our lives for you. We will die for you if it comes to it. Verses 27 to 28. That's exactly what they say. We're gonna die for you. And then they fall asleep. They can't even stay awake in his most devastating moments. And then literally less than 24 hours later, they're running to protect themselves physically. Let's get out of here. 
I'm going to give you a little bit of a side note to address something in the text. Verses 51 and 52 talk about a young man fleeing and ultimately fleeing naked. And if you are anything like me, you're like, why in the world is that in the verse? Why is that in the text? What does that have to do with anything? It seems out of place, but most commentators believe that this young man referenced in these two verses is actually John Mark, who is the author of the gospel according to Mark. And so it's as if the author himself is saying, hey, just so you know, I was there too, and I also betrayed Jesus. I'm not on the outside of this talking about the devastation of Peter and his disciples. No, I was there too, and actually, I ran away naked. I was that much in protection mode that I just ran. And so it brings us back to the point. Everyone, the disciples, John Mark, like us, are just protecting themselves. At the end of the day, looking out for number one. Now Jesus is brought before the council and he remains silent as false accusations are made. And then it happens, this climax in verse 61 that's absolutely incredible. Verse 61 says this, but he remained silent, meaning Jesus, and made no answer. And again, the high priest asked him, are you the Christ, the son of the blessed? This is like the moment. All of heaven had to be silent, kind of leaning in like, this is it. This is the moment of obedience. This is the moment. This is why Jesus stepped into human time right here, right now. As Jesus, who has said nothing in his own defense, begins to speak. And we pick it up in verse 62. And Jesus said, I am. And you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming with the clouds of heaven. And they are enraged. He says with no uncertain terms, I am the Messiah. And they are furious about it. The high priest, in fact, tears his clothes. Now, that was rather typical in the culture as much as we might find it humorous. But he was so furious to the point of tearing his garments. And they condemn him to death in that moment. They spit on him. And scripture even says that they begin striking him. They're literally beating him. And get this, the Sanhedrin, the council... If you remember from earlier chapters, if you've been with us on the journey through Mark, they're in protection mode also. They don't want to lose their positions of authority. They don't want to lose their positions of influence. And so they don't even consider that he may actually be the Messiah. It hasn't even entered into their very spiritual minds. They're incredibly informed on all of the Old Testament. They can quote it. They know all 613 laws that were required for them to function in their society. And yet it hasn't even come to their mind to consider that they may actually be looking at the Messiah. They can't see God at work in their midst because like us, they're distracted by their own agendas and their own need to protect themselves. Think about that for a second. They had all the information in the world They understand all of the Old Testament. There's so much that they understand about who the Messiah would be and what that would look like. And God himself is right before them and they're so wrapped up in their own protection mode that they cannot see God at work before them. So how about you? Are we missing God? Are we missing God? It's so easy to maybe be doing good and protecting ourselves 
that we're actually, in fact, missing God altogether and his eternal mission. We've gotten so focused on the temporal and the things of this world and the things that are here today and gone tomorrow, the things that rust, the things that corrode, the things that fall apart. Are we so obsessed with the the, the worries and the cares of this world that we've missed the eternal mission? It's a scary thought. It's a scary thought. And it's surprising and sometimes disappointing what we'll do to protect ourselves. And the things that we say to justify our actions. You should have heard this guy. He literally pushes his girlfriend at a complete stranger dressed as skating, scaring everyone half to death, and she's about to tumble into a manhole, and he says, Ah, oh, sorry, I tripped. <laughs> you tripped? I would be like, Come on. Seriously? Seriously? You didn't trip. You knew exactly what you were doing. You were scared to death, and you just wanted to protect yourself. So just say, I lost my mind. For 30 seconds, I went insane. I was so scared by that man that I would have thrown my own mother at him. Like, just own it. While this is taking place, Jesus is enduring a joke of a trial. Peter is outside doing the very thing he said he wouldn't. Just less than 24 hours earlier, He denies Jesus three times in a rooster crows. Verse 71 through 72 says this. But he began to invoke a curse on himself and and, and to swear. He's face to face with a girl that's that's saying, no, no, you're, you're one of them. He curses himself and to swear, I do not know this man of whom you speak. And immediately the rooster crowed a second time. And Peter remembered how Jesus had said to him, before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. And he broke down and wept. He just broke down and wept. Peter's devastated. Because in the end, he could not modify his behavior. In the end, he couldn't do what it is that he said he couldn't do. His flesh could not overcome the situation, the moment. Again and again, he does the very thing that he says he won't. He falls asleep on Jesus in the garden. He flees when it comes down to it. And now here he is denying Jesus three times. Again and again, he does the very thing he says he won't. Sound familiar? Sound familiar? I mean, that's where we live. If you've been exposed to to Christendom on any level, you know the tension of saying, listen, I I want to be a better person. I want to control my behavior. I want to stop this. I want to control that thought. I want to knock this off. And again and again, as scripture tells us, like a dog that returns to its own vomit, we return to the sin of our lives. Talk about graphic clarity. (laughs) So what's the answer? We're just doomed to live in this cycle of guilt and shame, then forgiveness and joy and guilt and shame. Is that the the version of, of living life to the fullest? No, no, no. A good Christian is way more miserable than that. They're literally scared to death to sin at all, and they hide it way better, right? Terrible thought. That's not what Jesus intends at all. That's not the goal of Christianity. I love that, that we can see the peace that Jesus has next to the struggle and anxiety of Peter. We can see the two coexisting. God's eternal protection is within walking distance. God wants to protect us eternally. He wants to protect us spiritually. 
And when we submit to the Lord, it changes absolutely everything. You see, the story with Peter doesn't end there, and your story doesn't end today either. Peter came face to face with his betrayal, and he repents. And Jesus, because of the person and work that he accomplished on the cross, because of what he did, extends forgiveness to Peter. And we'll get to that point. But what I want us to understand about today is that that moment of repentance and forgiveness changed absolutely everything because of the depth of the forgiveness and the depth of the sin that Peter came to grips with. We have to understand the depth of our broken nature before we can ever walk in and experience the freedom and grace that the gospel provides. And so Peter comes to the end of himself and ultimately he becomes one of the most powerful leaders within the church. And I can talk about all of the different things that he accomplishes for the Lord, but the thing that I think is most critical attached to what it is that we're learning about Peter now is that if you fast forward years, he's told to deny Christ and he won't. They told him to shut his mouth and he simply won't. And so they tell him, we're going to kill you. And he says, so be it. He doesn't fight. He doesn't flee. You see, he's in relationship with the Lord to the point that he exhibits the same calm peace that Jesus has with only one exception. It's profound and amazing. If you understand the depth of what's taking place here, Peter says, I have only one request. Do not crucify me like my savior. I'm unworthy. And Peter was crucified upside down at his own request, refusing. I'm actually getting a little emotional about the reality of what it looks like to come face to face with the truth of the gospel and allow it to change everything. And so calmly, he lays down his physical life because he realizes this world is it's short, but eternity is long and we're living for the eternal. And in this moment, in this window of time, this blink of an eye, the 120 years, if we're lucky, that we live on this earth, it's all for the purpose of what it is that will happen in eternity. And so we need to remain on mission, not because of our effort, not because of our attempts to modify our behavior, because that will never work. No, true protection is found in surrendering to the Lord. Because it's not about our physical comfort in this world. It's about eternity and adjusting our perspective so we live not denying Christ but surrendering to him. In and of ourselves, we can never be good enough. But Jesus went to a cross and laid down his life so that we don't have to be overcome with fear, so we don't have to be uh, restricted by worry and anxiety, but we can live life to the fullness, empowered by the truth of the gospel, realizing that we, when we repent, are forgiven and brought back into relationship with the Lord, that he literally sees the substitutionary death of Jesus on the cross in the midst of our brokenness and extends grace and forgiveness. He's within walking distance, even in our denial. So will you adjust your perspective? Adjust your perspective so that we don't live denying Christ, but actually surrendering to him. We say every week that the text requires something of us, and so I want to ask you a question to consider, to ask yourself as we leave this place or as we respond in worship first. In what area of my life do I need to stop denying Christ? Would you consider asking yourself the question, in what area of my life do I need to stop denying Christ? Is, is it about no longer denying his presence in your life and getting to a place where you surrender? Say, okay, I want to live for you. 
and ask him to be the Lord and leader of your life? Have you never done that? Have you never gotten to a place of surrender to the Lord? I want to ask you to consider some things as we consider the application today. And what I want you to do, if you're comfortable, is just to bow your heads. If you want, you can close your eyes. But if you would, just put your head down because the worship team is going to make their way up. And as the team makes their way up, I don't want you to be distracted. I want you to kind of focus on some of the things that I want kind of for us to all consider. If you're in this place and, or if you're even joining us online and you say, listen, I need to stop denying Christ's presence in my life. I need to surrender to him. If that's you, it can be as simple as praying a prayer today. It doesn't have to be some rote prayer or special language. It's just acknowledging that Jesus died for your sins. That he died the death you deserve so that you could be forgiven and walk in the peace and grace that he deserved. And so if that's you and you want to pray that prayer, it's as simple as saying, Lord, I'm a sinner. Would you forgive me? Come and be the Lord and leader of my life. I want to live for you. And if you pray that prayer today, I'd love to talk to you. I'd love to talk to you about the next steps. I'd love to make sure that it's not just an emotional reaction or fear of, of hell or anything like that, but that it's a true, authentic decision that you made. We would just want to walk alongside you. So whether you have a conversation with us today or you can reach out to us by email or even on our website. For others of us that have maybe already crossed that line of salvation, have come into relationship with the Lord, what area of your life do you need to stop denying Christ? Are you denying his promptings? Are you so wrapped up in the things that you want that you're just walking past his promptings, his presence in your life? Do you need to stop denying Christ in your marriage? Stop denying Christ in the way that your parents communicate with you, the way that you consider your future, the way you deal with your finances, the decisions that you make, Do you need to stop denying Christ with the time that you spend? Have you considered the implications of your body, mind, and spirit? Do you live as if your body is the temple of the Lord? Do you renew your mind with scripture? Are you willing to surrender and worship him for who he is and what he's done? We never outpace the text. And so for, if you're out there and you say, yes, I, I do all of those things, then I want to challenge you. What does it look like for you to stop denying Christ on mission? Is there a God risk? Is there something that God's calling you to do that you need to say, okay, I'll do that because it's more important than my maybe own protection in this moment? A spiritual conversation. I don't know, but I know that the Lord knows. And I know he's whispering to you now if you'd hear him. Let's just close in prayer as we enter into a time of response and worship that he is so clearly worthy of. Heavenly Father, we come before you in full awareness that we deny you, that we run for self-protection, whether it's in a moment of a divine appointment and a spiritual conversation and we just kind of chicken out or if we respond fighting for ourselves rather than surrendering to your will and way. But Lord, we know that you're worthy of our praise and our worship. So we commit today to stop denying you and to walk in the fullness because you are sovereign, because you're worthy, because you're big and we're small. We worship you, Lord. Would you stand to your feet?
Let the king of my heart be the shadow. 
us sink deep into our souls this morning, that it would push out the lies that we tend to believe about who you are or what you will do for us. But we know despite whatever's happening in our life, you are good.
church, I have a sense that maybe there's some of us out here that are kind of feeling a little bit like Peter and we're thinking, oh, we made these promises, we're singing these songs with our lips, but are we really going to build our life on the Lord? Are we really, really going to declare like the next song says that there's no one else for me, none but Jesus? But I think we need to remember what Claude talks about, how Peter rehearsed these truths and he stayed in relationship with God and he did get to a point where it was only Jesus. At the end of his life, that's what he could declare was you and only you, Jesus. And I don't know about you, but that's what I want for my life. There's no other name but Jesus. There's no one else for me. And so if you're a little hesitant to sing these songs, because maybe it feels, I don't know, a little fake or something, that's a lie. It's good to sing the truth and tell your soul the truth about this. So would you just pray these prayers with us and make these declarations as we sing this last song? Yeah. 
we just come before you and we commit to focusing on our spiritual health, heeding the promptings of your spirit in our lives. Father, we can't suppress the the voice of the world or the worries or the concerns, but we can put them in proper perspective when we spend time with you. And so, Lord, we commit not to denying your existence, but submitting to it. Father, would you transform our hearts and minds? Would you renew our hearts and minds? We could live on mission for you, for the things that truly matter, for the things that will matter a hundred, a thousand, ten thousand years from now. We're going to commit to that. So we declare ourselves available. We pray your will in our lives for your glory and our joy. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. If you want to continue to respond in song, uh, the team will continue to play. Um, There is uh, some bread out there. If you would like something, Eric drops them off here every week so you can help yourself or bring it to a needy family if you know of one. Um, If you want to respond in uh, any other way, whether it be spiritual coaching, uh, getting connected as a a steward of Centerway or something, you can go to our Next Steps um, section of our website or talk to me afterwards. We'll definitely be available. Uh, Otherwise, God bless you as you go, and we'll see you next week. Can't wait.